0: Good morning. It is lovely to see all of your bright and shining faces here this morning at church. Are we happy to be in the house of the Lord today? I can just feel the energy. I love it. Uh, If you don't know me, my name is Matt. I'm the student minister here at New Hope, which means I have the distinct privilege of hanging out and doing life with middle school and high schoolers on a weekly basis. Uh, And if you're a guest with us, we're just so excited that you're here and you came at a great time because, like Ben said, we're starting a new series called Waiting for a Savior. And Ben talked a little bit about Advent, and if you're not familiar with the Christian calendar, you might not know that we're entering that season right now, this season leading up to Christmas as we prepare for the coming of Christ. And when we look at the Old Testament, we see these people who were anticipating the coming Messiah, like Ben said, for 4,000 years. So right now, we're living in this time today, it's sometimes referred to as the already but not Yet basically meaning that Christ has already come to defeat sin and death but has not yet returned. So we are anticipating his second coming. So when we talk about Advent and we celebrate this time each year, we recognize both of those things. But we do it in these weeks leading up to Christmas, which marked that first coming of Christ in the incarnation him here on earth. So as I said, this next 5 weeks together is going to be all about Advent in this series called Waiting for a Savior. What does it mean to wait on God? That's the question we're wrestling with today. So is there anybody in the room that likes to wait? Where are the weirdos at? Where are we at? There's a couple. I see you. You're weird. That's okay, but we still love you. Um, Most of us are not in that camp. We don't like to wait. Nobody that I know finds the longest line at the grocery and says, Oh, look at all those people. Let's go stand in the back of that line. That's the one I want. Traffic is the same way. I don't know anybody that enjoys driving on 465 at 5 o'clock in the afternoon or driving through the middle of Whitestown at 8 a.m. I'm sure you've done one or both of those things many times, and it's not fun because we live in a fast-paced culture. We want everything so fast. We want our food fast, so we zip through the drive through We order, and we're, we don't even get out of the car. It's all quick. It's all good. That's why they call it fast food. We want our shopping done fast and delivered fast, so we all became Amazon Prime members. I know, I know that's you. Two days, it's at your door, it's awesome. We want it fast, so that's what we do. We want our grocery shopping done fast, and most of us hate grocery shopping. There are some that love it. I actually enjoy it, but my wife hates it. Most people I know hate walking through the store, having to pick it out with multiple carts coming your way. We hate doing that. It's too long. It's too much of a hassle, so we just enroll in Kroger Pickup, and we just sit in the car, and somebody brings all of our groceries to us, and we don't even have to get out of the car. We want it fast. We want our money fast. So we stopped using cash and coins and we just started using our credit cards and debit cards because we don't want to deal with the hassle of having to get our money out and and shuffle through it and deal back and forth. So we just have a card and we just swipe it and we're good. But then somebody came along and said, you know, that swiping thing, you gotta go all the way from one side of the reader to the other. It just it takes forever. No, we're not gonna do that. Let's just put a chip in it so we can just stick it in and out real quick. It's fast. But even that wasn't fast enough. Because then some guy came along and was like, "Wait, wait, 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 wait. That stick it in and out. what do we do? Let's just let's just, what if we just hold it near the reader? We'll just we'll call it tap to pay. A quick little tap and then we're good. We don't even have to touch. We'll get out of there even quicker. We want everything so fast." By the way, I often get associated with the tech-savvy uh, group because you know I'm 25, I work with teenagers, I'm young. Um, and so people often label me as that you know, very tech-savvy. And while I do have some technical skills, there are also a lot of uh, things about me that this might just... If, you, if you've ever felt old about technology, let me just provide you some solace here for a moment. So about a month ago, my wife and I were at the McDonald's drive-thru, uh, which she would be embarrassed that I told you that even because she hates McDonald's. I love McDonald's. But we're at the McDonald's drive-thru, it's delicious. I don't care how bad it is for you. It's awesome. So we're at the McDonald's drive-thru. We get up to the counter, and I realize that I had forgotten my wallet. We're getting ready to pay, and whenever she's with me, she often doesn't bring her wallet or her purse because, you know, we, why do I need it? If you've got your wallet, we're all good. So I forgot my wallet. We get up to the desk. I realize this, and the woman, you know, who's this middle-aged woman, her 40s and 50s, she says to us, Oh, just use Apple Pay. And so for the next three minutes, this woman at the cashier's desk has to explain to Caroline and I how to use Apple Pay. And so I'm holding my phone up to the window. I'm like looking for the Apple Pay app. I'm not sure like what's happening because I just have never set it up, never had to use it. I always have my wallet. You know, I'm all about those quick swipe, insert, tap to pay stuff. By the way, the tap to pay thing, I'm not even sure that's a real thing. I've tried it like a dozen times, and they've never had it work. So if you've ever used that, I think that you, I don't believe it. They all believe it when I see it. It's never worked for me. But anyways, I don't have Apple Pay, so this, you know, this really nice middle-aged woman had to explain to us two 25-year-olds how to use Apple Pay. Uh, so there you go. Now maybe you feel a little bit younger. Uh, but uh, we have things like Apple Pay because it's convenient. You don't have to carry cash around with you, and now you don't even have to have your wallet or purse with you because you got your phone, and you got Apple Pay, and it's convenient. Because that's what our culture is all about, convenience and speed. We want things fast, and we want them easy. That's why I think it's so hard to wait on God, because we don't have to wait on anything else. But God is different. We get so frustrated with God when we look at him through the lens of our own culture, because the two things that drive the shaping of our culture, convenience and speed, neither of them apply to God. God is not fast, and God is not easy. 125 times in your Bible does God tell you to wait, slow down, or be patient. Constantly throughout the word of God, The Lord is teaching us how to be more and more like him. And Jesus' life is the prime example of this. And when we observe the life of Jesus, we find that there's two things that he never does. He's never in a rush, and he never takes the easy or convenient way out. Let's take a look at an example. If you have your Bible with you, you can turn to Mark chapter 5. We're going to be starting in verse 25 and if you don't have one with you, there are some in the seat backs in front of you And I know every week when you see the scripture on the screen here and there's a page number You're thinking page number. We've all got different bibles. What do you mean? There's a page number Well, that's for the chair the bible that's in the back of your chair That's what the cbv stands for there. That's chair bible version So if you turn in your chair bible version, it's on page 862 That's just for you to make it a little bit easier on you It may not be 862 in your own bible, but if you're using the cbv, that's where you need to head so Mark chapter 5, we're going to start in verse 25, but before we do that, uh, we're going to observe three different people in this story that are seen having to wait on God. So before we get in, let's set the stage. What's happening here in Mark chapter 5? So Jesus is on the way to heal the daughter of Jairus, and Jairus is this synagogue leader who had come to Jesus and fell at his feet to plead with him to come and heal his daughter who was very, very sick, this 12-year-old daughter who was sick and very close to death. And he gets Jesus to agree to come to Jairus' house to heal his daughter. So Jesus and his disciples go with Jairus, and they're on their way to his house, and they find themselves in the middle of a large crowd. That's where we are here as we pick up in verse 25. So it's 18 verses. you think we can handle standing for that long? It's a lot, I know. All right, let's do it. Would you stand for the reading of God's word this morning? A large crowd followed and pressed around him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He had said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. Just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And when they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means, Little girl, I say to you, Get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. (laughs) So there are a lot of moving parts in this story. And as I mentioned before, there are three different people seen waiting on God in this story. And the first is the bleeding woman. She had been waiting to be healed for 12 years. 12 years. That's a long time. That is almost as long as it's been since the Colts were in the Super Bowl. (laughs) Too soon? Sorry. It's okay. We'll be all right. We'll be good. 12 years is a long time. And that's how long this woman had been waiting to be healed. And it wasn't just that she was bleeding, so you know, she was hurting and sick and was inconvenient, though it was that, but it was even more than that. Because you see, according to Jewish law, which you can read all about in Leviticus 15, this woman was considered unclean, ceremonially unclean, meaning that anything that she touched or laid on or sat on was also then unclean, or even that anything that she touched, if someone else touched it, that person would then become unclean. So this woman was an outcast. Nobody wanted to befriend her or even go near her. And to make matters worse, she'd spent all of her money on doctors, medical care, to try and treat and fix this problem. So she's broken physically, she's rejected by everyone, and she has no money. And she's probably spent days upon days upon days thinking, Lord, what are you waiting for? What's the point of this? I'm tired of this. Have you ever asked those questions of God? what are you doing? God, I'm tired. What, what are we waiting on? The second person in this story who's seen waiting on God is Jairus. Now, his waiting is much more subtle, but it's happening right before our eyes because Jesus' encounter with this bleeding woman takes place right in the middle of Jairus' story. Jairus is in the crowd next to Jesus when he encounters the woman and when he sees her healed. So put yourself in Jairus' shoes for a moment. Imagine your daughter is dying She's 12 years old and she's inching closer and closer to death. And by some miracle, you've gotten Jesus to agree to come to your house to heal your daughter. But it's a long walk to get there. And on the way, Jesus stops. And there's this woman who's inserted herself into the story and distracted Jesus from your agenda. I imagine Jairus getting pretty antsy throughout this part of the story, you know, like checking his watch, thinking, Jesus, come on, come on, come on. We got somewhere to be. My daughter's dying. Let's go, let's go. And though he witnesses a powerful miracle, he sees this woman healed, he's devastated because he learns that during this distraction, his daughter has died. And I'm sure he was angry at Jesus. I'm sure he was angry at the bleeding woman for interfering during his time of need. I can't imagine that Jairus was happy for this woman who had just been healed. Scripture doesn't tell us a lot about what Jairus was saying or feeling or thinking at this point. But if you put yourself in his shoes, I would imagine that his own suffering made it impossible for him to celebrate the healing of this woman. Because at times, our own suffering stifles our ability to celebrate with others in their healing. And that might sound harsh, but I know I felt that way. My brother died of brain cancer when I was a senior in high school. My only sibling, my best friend, poof, he was gone. And there was a period of my life where I found it very difficult to celebrate with other people and their healing. I, I simply couldn't find it in my heart at times to rejoice with other people in healing and their victories. You know, you go to church and you hear that somebody's you know, cancer-free or that they came through an illness or, or a difficult situation and people celebrate and it's great and sometimes I had to fake it because on the inside I would be thinking or feeling, oh, that's, that's not fair. How come it happened for them and not for me? I waited for that healing for three years and and nothing. I would imagine that Jairus in this moment was thinking, no fair. Jesus, you said you were going to come heal. You're, You're supposed to heal my daughter, not this woman. You said you would. He's waiting on Jesus, but it was too late. The third person in this story that's seen waiting on God is actually a group of people, and it's the disciples. This one's a little bit bigger than even just this story. The disciples spend basically their entire time with Jesus, waiting on him. Over and over and over throughout the beginning of the Gospels, we see that they don't yet fully understand Jesus or what he does or who he is. In fact, not long before this, we get an account of a story where the disciples are out on a boat in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, and there's this big storm that comes, and they're fearing for their lives because it's dangerous. They think they're going to die. And Jesus is taking a nap in the back of the boat, and he wakes up, And he calms the wind and the waves and the storm immediately. And he says to them, where is your faith? And they're blown away. See, they've seen him perform miracle after miracle after miracle. And yet, they still don't get it. Because they're waiting on him to rise up and build an army. Because even though they believe him to be this Messiah, they're not really sure what that Messiah, their view of what the Messiah is is a little skewed. They're expecting some great king with military power and prowess to rise up and defeat Rome and rescue their people. But that's not exactly what Jesus is. In fact, many times, including in this story that we just read, Jesus tells people not to tell of the miracle or the healing that they have just witnessed because they don't yet understand exactly what they've seen. They're not ready. So they have to wait. Now, all three of these people in this story, the bleeding woman, Jairus, and the disciples, each of them that wait on God get very different results. And I think all three of them are a good example for us to look at, because I think we all may have found ourselves waiting like each of these groups. The first one, the bleeding woman, for her, she waited for 12 years for that healing, and in walks Jesus. Jesus, a man who she'd heard stories about, a man who she had heard heals people. So she manages to get behind him in the crowd just to touch his robe because she has the faith that a simple touch of his clothes would heal her. She'd been waiting on Jesus for 12 years. And though she didn't know it that whole time that it would be him who would show up, it was he that she was waiting for. Because everything, in her, everything else in her life had not come through for her. Her family had shunned her. Her friends had rejected her because of her condition. Her doctors could not heal her. And I'm sure that there were some that wouldn't even try for fear of getting near her. But Jesus is different. The woman kept her faith that she could be healed for that entire time. And what does Jesus say to her? Daughter, your faith has healed you. God might answer our prayers. It might take a while, but when we wait on God, we may actually see something we want or desire come to fruition. This is the case for this woman. She waited and she kept the faith and she was healed. And it's easy to wait on something good, right? Like when we know something amazing is right around the corner. For example, if this woman had known for sure that Jesus was going to heal her from her condition exactly 12 years from now when she first got sick, it probably would have been easier for her to wait during that entire time because she could see the end goal. Because it's easier to wait when we know something good is on its way. Waiting at the BMV is not very fun because we don't like what the outcome is. Usually you wait however long it is, however many hours you have to sit there, and then you've got to pay the state a bunch of money or do something you don't want to do, right? That waiting is not very fun. Sometimes waiting at the doctor's office can be not fun because either we're sick during the waiting and so we don't feel good or we find out that we're sick at the end of the waiting and it's not very fun. But what about something like Holiday World? When was the last time you went to Cedar Point or Kings Island or Disney World? There's a lot of waiting that takes place at, something, at a place like that, right? So when I was in the eighth grade, My mother, father, and brother, and I, the four of us, took a trip to Cedar Point. And Cedar Point, uh, any Cedar Point fans? It's like the greatest roller coaster place on the world. Yes, I won't say it's the best theme park, but as far as roller coasters, top-notch for sure. If you haven't gone, you need to go. Um, Anyways, at the time, there was this ride that has since been retired uh, due to some mechanical difficulties, which is kind of a shocker. But uh, it's called the Top Thrill Dragster. Has anybody ever ridden the Top Thrill Dragster? Yes, we got some fans. It's the best. At the time when it was built, it was the fastest and tallest roller coaster in the entire world. Obviously, it has been a long time since it was built, so it doesn't hold that title today. But at the time, it was the fastest and tallest in the entire world because it went from 0 to 120 miles an hour in 3.8 seconds, and it shot right up to 420 feet in the air, and it was, it was aptly named Top Thrill Dragster. It was awesome. However, when we're there, eighth grade me obviously has to ride the Top Thrill Dragster, but my mom, dad, and brother, all three of which, were not interested in riding this ride whatsoever. And I think that the three of them were the only three people in the entire park who didn't want to ride this ride, because I stood in line and waited for this ride for three and a half hours. Three and a half hours waiting in line for this roller coaster that takes about 15 seconds to complete. And it was so worth it. Every second of waiting in that line was so worth it. Because though I stood by myself in that line for three and a half hours, it wasn't a very fun or thrilling experience during that waiting, I knew what was coming. I knew... That I was about to ride the tallest and fastest roller coaster on planet Earth. And that was an experience that a story that I could tell for the rest of my life, something I would never forget. And it was worth the wait. The same was true on my wedding day. Now, the list of decisions that I made regarding our wedding was very small, but something that was on that list was that I did not want to do a first look. If you don't know what that is, first look, you know, where the bride and groom get to see each other before the ceremony and share like a special little moment and, you know, pray or talk together. And I didn't want to do that because I wanted that moment where she walks down the aisle to be the first time I saw her that day. I wanted to wait. And I meant I have to wait longer to see her, but it was worth it. Because I knew that that moment when my, I get to see my bride walking down the aisle toward me for the first time was going to be amazing. But I loved that waiting because I knew what was coming. It was worth the wait. So if we're okay with it at the theme park or in our special moments in life, why is it different when we have to wait on God? When you're in a season of waiting, does it feel more like you're waiting at the BMV than at your wedding? Why are we more impatient with God than with anyone else? Is it because we can't always see what he has in store for us? We may not always get a specific answered prayer the way this woman did, because the second example in this story is the example of Jairus, and he gets a totally different answer to his waiting. He waited on God to show up and heal his daughter, and though he waits and he waits, it's too late, and she dies. God did not come through the way Jairus thought he would. In fact, Jairus probably thought that he did not come through the way he said he would when Jesus agrees to go with him to his house. You ever been there? You ever felt like God has betrayed you? Or that he didn't come through for you? Or that he didn't end the abuse taking place in your life? Or that he didn't heal the person that you loved? Or that he didn't give you the right job or the right opportunity or they didn't under, he doesn't understand you, what you need, or what you want. Well, the people that come from Jairus's house act a lot like do, we do, I think, in some of those moments. Because they say, well, nah, there's no use bothering Jesus anymore. She's dead. He didn't get there in time. And we assume that this is the end. And what that guy didn't know, or those people that came to tell Jairus that his daughter was dead didn't know. And what we often can't see when we are in the thick of it is the reality of what is coming, the things that are around the corner that we can't see. Because never in a million years did Jairus show up at Jesus' feet thinking, man, it'd be great if my daughter would die and Jesus could just come afterwards and bring her back from the dead. That's not what Jairus was thinking or expecting. That thought, I'm sure, never crossed his mind. No, he was thinking, please get here in time, Jesus. Come heal my daughter. Save her from dying. Because Jairus' false assumption was that Jesus did not have the power over death. He waited for one specific desired outcome and got something totally different. I waited for years for my brother to be healed of his cancer, but it never happened. It didn't come true the way I wanted it to. And to be honest, our, our family has spent a lot of this past year waiting for people to be healed. My mom, who passed away this year, was not healed. And Caroline's dad, who also passed away this year, wasn't healed. So we ask ourselves these questions. What should we do? Should we just stop bothering Jesus with it because you know, it's clear that our hope is gone? Should we sit around and say, oh, well, Jesus didn't heal them the way I wanted him to, so clearly he doesn't love us anymore? No, to, to, to be completely transparent with you. I don't quite know how to articulate all of the good coming out of this season of waiting, coming from the death of my mom and my father-in-law this year, because it's still fresh. It's, it's this year. We've been waiting with expectation, and frankly, at times, we don't know what we're waiting for. But let me tell you something else. For my brother, I'm far more removed, because it's been more than seven years now. And as I shared before, there was a time where I couldn't even bring myself to, to be happy for people in their healing following his death. But something is different because, you know what's different about my life because of the death of my brother? Everything. There are so many things that changed in me and around me because of his death, as a direct result of his death. Uh, His death drove me into a specific friend group in my high school and drove me to open up and share a little bit more about my feelings and who I am and be more transparent about things with the girl who I was giving guitar lessons to at the time. Most of you know her now because she's my wife, and that certainly wouldn't have happened in any other scenario. And she wouldn't be my wife today if my brother was still here. Something else is that his death made me pursue ministry here in the Midwest, and I decided to stay here instead of moving to Australia, and because my mom was depressed that her son had just died, and had I moved to the literal farthest place you can move and still be on earth... I think it would have drove her into a worse place and so I decided to stay here and that changed the trajectory of my entire life would not be standing here at New Hope with all of you in this beautiful family if it weren't for that. There are so many good things that came from such a sufferable situation and that's just one person and that's just a couple of things. Because while the Lord never promised to take away my suffering he gave me the strength to see how people's lives were affected positively because of my suffering. And those around me. If you remember Rob's sermon from just a couple of weeks ago as we wrapped up our study of Ephesians, we talked about suffering, and you might remember that Paul never asks people to pray for his suffering to end. That's not what he prays for, it's not what he asks people to pray for. He asked for people to pray that his suffering would be a reason that people come to know the name Jesus. He asked for strength to endure so that people might come to know that name because of the situation that he is in, the things that he is going through. Now, Jairus in this story was probably thinking, boy, will I have a story to tell when Jesus heals my daughter? But he may not have stopped to think about what Jesus was trying to teach him on the journey. Because often when we ask for healing, we think, boy, the Lord is going to do so much through me once I'm healed or through this situation, once the person I love is healed, or this thing that I'm struggling with is over, or we get through this situation that's really tough, man, the Lord's going to have so much to do through me once we're through that. And we don't often stop to think, what can God do through me, or better yet, what can God do to me in my season of waiting during this time? This question is most relevant when it comes to our third character group in this story, the disciples. The disciples. Because they're constantly with Jesus. They're waiting on him to make himself known and to rise up as their new king. But what they don't know is exactly how that's going to look. So they wait. And they seek to learn. They seek to understand. And they screw up and they mess up and they fall short. And they don't understand. But Jesus continues to teach them. And they continue to wait. They're waiting on Jesus to become king. But they're also waiting on his next lesson, his next sermon, his next miracle the disciples are constantly waiting on Jesus. And most of the time, they don't even realize how much the waiting is transforming them into better men. And I think the same thing is true for us. Maybe you're not waiting on anything specific. Maybe when you hear me talk about this, you're thinking, oh man, I don't really even know what I'm waiting for. Maybe you're just waiting. But regardless of what you are waiting on, it's clear that the Lord wants to do something to you in the midst of your waiting. Because in our culture, we see the concept of having to wait as a necessary evil, this thing in between the things that actually matter, something that we have to just get through before we can get to what's really important. This quote I love from Adele Calhoun is a ministry leader out on the East Coast. She says this about waiting. The past with its regrets is irretrievably gone. The future with its what-ifs is out of our control, but now, right now, It is possible to be with God. It is possible to wait and say yes to God in what is. Waiting is where we learn to let go our timing in this traffic, our disappointment in this decision, our hurt in this comment. Waiting is where we learn to let go of our control and expectations and trust that God is good no matter what is happening. (laughs) Sometimes it's about the right now, even in the waiting. Because you see, in this story that we just read this morning in Mark chapter 5, the Lord had something planned for each of these people during their season of waiting. This woman developed a dependence on God in her waiting because she couldn't depend on anyone else. And that happened to her during the wait. And ultimately, she's told that it was her faith that healed her. Jairus learned to trust God no matter what. He learned not to put barriers or limited expectations on God because his barrier for God was death, and it turned out that not even that was too much for God. But what Jairus didn't see coming is what was even better that was in store just around the corner. And Jesus very specifically articulates to Jairus what he should do in his waiting. He says, don't be afraid, just believe. Because what you think you need or what you think you want, Jairus, may not be it at all the Lord may have something that you couldn't have ever come up with on your own right around the corner. And finally, the disciples came to know Jesus better than anybody else. They got to be a fly on the wall in so many encounters like this one, where Jesus heals people and does some incredible things throughout his ministry. They were a part of a slow process of becoming more and more like Christ in their season of waiting. You see, when we're forced to wait on God, we might be like any of these three people. We might be like the bleeding woman. God might do eventually exactly what we want, what we were hoping for. We might just have to wait and trust and see, and it might come to fruition. We might be like Jairus, where God may not do exactly what we wanted him to do, but he may ask us to not be afraid and to simply trust him because he may have something even better than what we wanted in store. Or, We might be like the disciples in this story. We might be just waiting. And we may not even realize what's happening to us or why we're here or what we're doing, but all the while God is shaping us. Because regardless of whether God does or doesn't do what we want or what we think he should, he's using that time to to prepare us for things to come. Because you see, biblical waiting isn't just sitting around and doing nothing. It's trusting that God is doing something even when we can't see it. Craig Rochelle always says, don't waste the waiting. It's one of his favorite lines. Don't waste the waiting. Instead of thinking of the waiting as this in-between period before the things we want and need, be present in the waiting. Because maybe during that time, God is teaching you to depend on him like you never have before. Or maybe he's teaching you something about his own faithfulness. Or maybe he's showing you that faithfulness in a way where you just weren't going to get it any other way. Maybe he wants you to draw close and to become more like him. And you've got the time. So don't waste the waiting. Now, I know uh, there's probably some Rob sermon withdrawal in the room right now. We had Mission Sunday last week. You've got me this week. So I know you're missing him. So I'll give you a sports analogy to kind of hold you over one more week (laughs) until we get there. Um, So I'm coaching uh, seventh grade basketball right now. Uh, And one of the things that we do at our practices a lot is we review our offense. And so we run through plays, and we we have a set, and we've got five guys on the court kind of walking through a different offensive play or set. And because there's only five guys on the floor, that means there's five to seven other 12- and 13-year-old boys off to the side that are not a part of the play that, as you can imagine, are not always super focused when they're not in the game. So one of the things that I have to tell them to do all the time when they're not in is to pay attention. Just because you're not playing doesn't mean you're not participating. you got to be watching and be ready, knowing what your role is, so that when you go in, you know what you're doing. When the time comes for you, you're one of those five guys on the court. you got to be ready. There's a specific role for you when you're not in the game. you got to be preparing for what's to come. Just because you're not playing doesn't mean you're not participating. So don't waste the waiting. There's one important thing that I think we often forget when we're waiting on God, and I just said it. We often think that we're waiting on God, when in reality, we are waiting with God. God is there with you in the waiting, whether you realize it or acknowledge him or not. He's always in the back of the boat with the power to calm the wind and the waves. And the storm will still come, but we might just have to wait and see what God does about it. So as we celebrate Advent, the season where we anticipate the coming Messiah before Christmas, we're also anticipating his second coming, like Ben said this morning. Everything we do in this life to worship God is all a part of preparing for Christ's return. Our worship of God, our evangelism and discipleship is all a part of following God's call to live on mission in this life as we prepare for the next. So regardless of our situation in this life, the things we're going through, the things we feel that we're waiting on, the tough stuff, the people we want to be healed, the situation we want out of, regardless of all of those things, we know ultimately what we are waiting for. We're waiting for new bodies, new heaven and new earth, for an eternal life with Christ, for the absence of sin and suffering and death, for authentic rest, unity with our eternal family, and the opportunity to be face to face with Jesus. That's what we're waiting for. And that's also what the first advent was all about, because Jesus' earthly life was a testament of what is to come. So as David writes in the psalm that we read together earlier this morning, many will see what he has done and be amazed. They will put their trust in the Lord. Oh, the joys of those who trust the Lord. Oh, the joys of those who trust the Lord and wait patiently with him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness. Lord, we thank you that you are faithful in any and every situation. Lord, we ask that you help us to wait patiently and expectantly on you in every season. Lord, we may not assume that our way is the only way or even the best way, Help us, Lord, may we not fear, but rather put our trust in you. Help us to remember that we're participating even when we feel like we are not in the game. Help us not to waste the waiting and to submit ourselves to your will as we anticipate all the things that you have in store for us, not just in the future, but in the right now. In the faithful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.